I'm Sam C. Perry, and you're listening to the Living in Style Podcast. Jerome Lamar was born and raised in the south side of the Bronx, and he began his fashion career at the tender age of 15 as an intern at Baby Fat by Komori Lee Simmons. And while Jerome continues to grow his brand through the launch of his 9J store, he is very clear about his vision and isn't afraid to admit that it has taken some time to reach this level of success. From dressing Beyonce to having his custom designs featured on Rihanna for Paper Magazine, he has proven to be a force in the world of fashion. I first met Jerome during his eight-year reign at Baby Fat, and we've stayed connected and in touch throughout these years. I've always been inspired by his positive outlook on life, his tenacity, and belief in his vision. And as he makes the Bronx his runway and expands his maximalist, fantasy, street-style spirit, I had to really find out what inspires him and kept him going during the times that he wanted to give up. This is Living in Style with Jerome Lamar. Growing up in the Bronx, what was that like for you? So for me... um Growing up in the Bronx, it was a mix of of everything, right? I had a chance to see uh, different races and different ideas as far as, like, uh, the way people carry themselves in the hood. <laughs> but what was cool <laughs> about it was um, I had an opportunity to, to kind of grow with the borough, right? Because people, you know, kind of forgotten about the borough, in, in a sense, because it was, you know, no one goes to the Bronx, but it's zero. And now they are. But mm-hmm. back in the day, no one went to the Bronx. And so it allowed everyone here in the Bronx to kind of become an individual, which is why, um, you know, you have Ralph Lauren, you have fucking, what's her name? Jennifer Lopez, and Calvin Klein. All these people kind of have that Bronx pride, which kind of creates and makes him to someone else. So growing up for me, being an open gay male, like I wasn't hiding who I was, but uh, growing up here basically, empowered me to just be myself and be an individual. Um, it was a little tough at times, of course, because, you know, not everyone's as open-minded, but it definitely was pretty dope, you know? And, and as far as, like, your early inspiration, what allowed you to really, besides being in the Bronx, what allowed you to really, you know, accept who you were um, and just continue to move forward at such an early age? I mean, I guess my family. My family is, like, the core of everything, right? So because my parents kind of allowed me to be who I wanted to be from an early age, whether it was a scientist or an artist or whatever it was, they empowered me to do it. And my siblings, you know, they empowered us to just, you know, be confident in what it is that we have and and improve what we can improve and just keep living our lives um, perfectly. So my dad, for example, who's in the military, who uh, was very refined and very sharp and very smart, right? He, He... basically allowed me, you know, his only son, well, I have an older brother, but he's my half-brother, but I call my brother, but I'm his, you know, (laughs) his first offspring, and, you know, I'm a boy, so I'm, like, the heir to everything, and he just allowed me to be, at first it was a little tough, but, you know, in college, and he realized I was doing my own thing, he just allowed me to be me. My mom always embraced me since the beginning of time, so um, that empowerment really, really allowed me to explore and, you know, help me land internships and, um, you know, not having parents that was so rigid on how we could, you know, mature mm-hmm. and grow. That was really, I feel very blessed to have that. While while you were a kid, you know, you mentioned, you know, if you wanted to be a scientist or whatever you wanted to be, yeah. did you always have an inkling of style and fashion? Yes. So, 
I like to say I'm inherit I inherited it, right, from my grandparents. So mm-hmm. my grandmother who was super, super fab, um, she was a seamstress. She also, you know, created dresses and clothing for kids for the family. She taught me about fashion and that it actually could be something for myself if I wanted it to be. And then my grandfather, who was a photographer and furrier and, and a, um, he owned his own shop in the Bronx in the 70s, um, and it was a flower shop. So he, you know, he had this entrepreneurial uh, way about him. But what was nice is that he had a flair for fashion. So he, mm-hmm. I wear a lot of his clothes to this very day that he used to give to me when I was, like, in my teens. Um, but now I can fit it better, right? <laughs> but what was nice <laughs> that it's like I inherited all this. And then being exposed to things like The Wiz at such a young age, that was, like, hella dope, you know, because I got to see empowered black men and women, you know, looking great, dressing the part, and just being, once again, an individual in their own right, you know. So we know The Wiz is basically, you know, it's The Wiz of the Oz, but what I Mm -hmm. loved most about The Wiz was not necessarily the storyline, but was the Emerald City, when The Wiz, or Oz, was in control of what the, you know, the red light, green light colors were and what they were wearing. and What I find a, a little interesting about your story is that you said your grandfather had a flower shop. Mm-hmm. And your husband is... a is, florist, and his name is, is a florist. Florist. Yes. It's, so, it's like, cool. And, like, it's so full circle. And, like, you know, like, today is the birth of hip-hop. All this 11th, mm-hmm. 1973. And... To be born in the borough, that is so important as far as culture goes. I feel very blessed. As if I know for a fact I was born to do what I'm doing because it's happening the way it's supposed to, right? Um, I don't know if there's any scandals coming or whatever <laughs> down the line. I don't know. <laughs> but I do know, right, it's this moment that I'm doing the right thing at the right time to kind of, you know, empower others and show that we can, we can do it. Um, and to be born in the borough that has such a rich history in America at this time is so dope. And now I have my own shop here. Now I'm like mm-hmm. of age to basically help empower others for my career choices and things like that. So everything happens for a reason. And I live by that. Like I live by that. As you moved your way through, I don't want to say adversity, but different struggles that I think that we all face, especially as young black gay men in America and then coming from the Bronx, I'm sure it was a different struggle than someone coming from uh, Manhattan, Mm -hmm. downtown Manhattan. How did you navigate that? Wow. Um, I think, again, it goes back to just my upbringing and Mm -hmm. perseverance and just kind of having a vision. So, I believe a great deal in vision and having the power to manifest whatever it is you want to do and holding that vision and that concept in your brain, no matter what it is, just holding it within your brain and it comes to you. That really, really, really empowered me to basically navigate and build my own world. When I started my brand, 531, which I discontinued, well, I just kind of transitioned it into something else. I wanted to be a Vogue darling so badly, so I tried to fit <laughs> in this American concept of what it is to be a designer. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be a certain pedigree to make it into that Vogue conversation, which has changed now. When I first started my brand in 2013, it wasn't what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I was even told by, you know, a counterpart of my company that, you know, don't tell them you're from the Bronx and don't tell them, you know, you don't have to do the little black boy from the Bronx anymore. And I kept saying, yes, I do, because my story is not like, um, you know, Alexander Wang, whose family comes from money or any other bigger brand that's not of color because there was, there was no black designers or, you know, there was Latino designers, but there was no, like, black designers at the time um, that was getting mm-hmm. recognition. And so I said, my story is my story. So why would I not want to tell it? And by me trying to not tell the story at first was hindering because I think Vogue, when I went to meet with them, they wanted to know the real authentic me instead of me listening to someone else and changing my aesthetic, which is what I did, mm-hmm. and my my story. I changed, I boarded down my story, and it, I, can, I think that repelled Vogue from me trying to say, yeah, I'm this guy, and yeah, this is what I'm about, instead of saying, yes, I'm Jerome from the Bronx, and this is how I get down, and I come from a hip-hop town, <laughs> and this is it, and whether you like it or not, it's going to be a success, and I did say that part of it is going to be a success, but I did it in a different tone, and I think I want to empower other designers to kind of think on their own terms, because we're in a whole new era where we can control our media intake and, and press that we get and uh, mm-hmm. the recognition. And if mm-hmm. we're just smart about how we go about it, we can empower ourselves without having to wait for any magazine or store to help us. And I feel like creatives in general, it's so important in today's time to control your narrative. You put right. out there what you want your story to be, and it needs exactly. to be authentic because an audience at this point, they're so aware of what's going yeah. on that they're able to spot a fake in, in uh-huh. a second. And that, and that back then, it was the early stages of all this. So when I first, you know, was trying to do that, I literally was trying to change who I was so I could fit into the quote-unquote Vogue darling American designer um, criteria. Um, and I'm happy I figured it out before I, like, ran myself down to the ground and crazy. <laughs> of course. Um, because, you know, trying to gain that attention and it's very, you know, it's, and it can become very hard to kind of keep doing what you're doing because you feel like you're being overlooked. But I realize I'm not being overlooked because I, you know, I'm not being overlooked. I just wasn't presenting myself in the proper way. So You weren't presenting your authentic self. Right, exactly. Exactly. I want to talk to you about having a having a vision and and manifesting uh the life that you're living right now because I think a lot of people don't understand the power in that, especially at such an early age. When you look back on, you know, your vision and manifesting everything, do you feel that both your upbringing and your family had influence in that, or is that something that you just picked up on your own? Uh, a mix of both. Um, I'm really close to my family, my siblings mm-hmm. in particular. Um, so I know that we were all raised a certain way. And just having the opportunity to be in, in culture so early on, like mm-hmm. back in my space was the big deal, that for sure helped build my um build my world, right? So um seeing, you know, watching Kamora build her own world also helped me quite a bit. Like seeing that, you know, going into a corporate office that had Asian, Latino, black, white, Jew, everyone. 
and they're all building and they're all doing their own thing. And me being a kid, I was literally 15 um, in that environment of like 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings. And I learned that you can, you're the controller of your own destiny. Now, if you want, whatever direction you want to take it is up to you. But if you are, if you're here and if you're present, then you can do stuff with it. Like I watched older interns who were there, um, who were in college and things like that. Just, they just didn't last. They just couldn't last because I was hungry for what I was, you know, I was hungry in that environment. I wanted to come every day. I came every day actually. I came every day. Mm-hmm. I worked, I came right after school. I stayed too late and, you know, if they asked me to do something, I did it. I didn't even question it. I just did it because I loved it. And then the company grew around me, and it just empowered me to just realize that if you want something, you can have it. And that's everything, whether it's, you know, a person, whether it's a, a pair of shoes, whether it's a career <laughs> goal, whether it's, you know, the ideal, you know, situation. You can have it if you really want it and if you work towards it. And... While I'm still working towards my big picture, because, yes, it's not like I'm in a developing area and there's not a lot of foot traffic, I just know that there's a bigger picture from it and to it, so Mm -hmm. I just have to keep working towards that, Um, and that's empowering for me. So I don't have to worry about, you know, someone telling me, da-da-da-da-da, this is not working out, because I'm the control of my own destiny, and my vision is manifesting daily. It's funny when I look back at when we first met. I met you um, while you were at Baby Fat. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was at Baby Fat at the time, um, and I, I think I had just left uh, the company that I was working for, E Fashions, who was working directly with Baby Fat. And I remember the first thing that I purchased from your brand were the handmade bracelets that you oh had. My God. That was a thing, and no one was doing that back then, which was crazy. It was just, like, weird. And no. no I still have them. I actually still have no them. No fucking way. Yes. Oh, my God. Next time I see you, I'm going to bring them so you can see them. I still wow. have them. I will not get rid of them. That is what? so crazy. That was the beginning of everything. Because I said, I have this energy. How can I manifest it in a different way? And I, did, and I discovered that I was good with my hands while working at uh, Ralph Rucci. So I was like, because Baby Fat, I didn't work with my hands. I did mood boards and click and sketch, but that wasn't like beading and hand wrapping and like measuring, but Ralph Ritchie was that. And then that's when, like during that, like the beginning stages of the bracelets was, was the end of my time at Baby Fat. Mm-hmm, and then I realized mm-hmm. I was really good with my hands, which kept me going. And then I started to develop this embellishment that I didn't know I was good at until I started doing it. Like, I was afraid. I was like, no, i got to figure out someone in India. You know, it has to be done right. And mm-hmm. then I just said, I can't afford India. What can I do by myself? And then I said, you know. So the jewelry turned into the brand. Because I look at every item um, five through, and for 531 as an accessory. So that's crazy that you still have those bracelets. I do. I, I promise you. Next time I see you, I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring them so, so you can see them. <laughs> I I want to talk to you about Baby Fat because mm-hmm. Baby Fat, you started at at 15. I mean, no one starts an internship at <laughs> such a huge brand at that age, and Baby Fat at that time was the brand. They were the first fashion what? show that I went to. Ugh, so crazy. And, like I'm yeah. very blessed. 
I feel very blessed because the one person who gave me that opportunity is now my business manager, um, Tina Lee. Wow. Well, Christina, yeah, that's a cool, my full name. Um, <laughs> and it's so ironic because she gave me this chance of a lifetime, and it was up to me, again, to kind of make it work accordingly. So I feel very, very, very blessed to have that chance to to basically build my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was work for Babyfet at that time. So, um, And it was still small. Like, it was still developing. But I knew it was the hottest brand, and I wanted it. And, you know, she found me. She, like, it's really crazy. I called. It's like I called her to me that day, and she found me. So that really was significant because that doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. but then I realized when I when I like I when I got the card from her, I looked back and I said to myself, "But maybe I've always been doing this because I've always manifested what I wanted, just never on the scale." And then I kept manifesting, but it wasn't just me sitting back and tr- pretending things was happening. I was working towards it. So that's one thing I want everyone to understand: it's like, yes, it requires your brain power but you also have to physically be present enough to work it's, it's so crazy that that you that you, said you have to be physically present enough to do the work because a lot of people are not ready to do the work there's a lot of work that goes into everything and it's usually the behind the scenes work that nobody sees they don't start supporting and glorifying things until people start getting the reward right it's so true. So what was it like for you, though, behind the scenes, you know, putting in that work and not necessarily getting that quote-unquote recognition up front? I don't know. I was just happy to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at Babyfat, I just learned work ethics. Well, I've always had work ethics because I've always had, like, pretty amazing, decent grades and excelled in everything, right? But I just knew that if I wanted something, I had to work towards it. And I didn't mind not having the recognition because I – at the time, whenever they were filming the reality show, which is funny, and they would come to my office, I would run away from the camera. Because <laughs> I've always wanted to be the guy in the back. And then someone just said, just stop running away from, like, the camera loves me. Just be myself and don't think about the camera. And that was what pushed me in front of it um, for the for the TV show. Because they were like, you really need to be present. We want you to be seen. And so... It kind of was like a twofold, right? Like, I worked mm-hmm. so hard that all I cared about was making sure the brand was good and making sure I was meeting deadlines, um, making sure that, you know, my everyone's needs was met. But I didn't realize that people were watching me while doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which There's is always really somebody cool. watching. Right. And I didn't know that. I just was happy about doing my job. And I didn't realize Kamora even watched because I was just like, you know, like, for example, she was, always there. I always was there when I had to help her get out the cars and get out the bags. And, you know, I wasn't a, I wasn't her assistant, but I was part of the staff. So everyone was her assistant at that time, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I kept my head down. I would be in the elevator with her and Russell, and I wouldn't say anything unless they said something to me. Because I'm not at your level, right? Like, I'm just here to work. And that's all I cared about was working. Fast forward, like, I think now I'm finally getting recognition for certain things. Not like I'm changing the world in any way, but, I mean, at least people are acknowledging the fact that I am the first store of the Bronx doing what I'm doing, um, that I am significantly 
intertwined with hip-hop and the culture that's macro, because not everyone's referencing those days of babies had, and they're looking, and then, you know, mm-hmm. years later, I'm still around. I'm still doing something brand new. I don't usually use the reference of baby fat, because I remember making the references of baby fat. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't even look at that, because I'm on a whole nother, I'm on to the next. But mm-hmm. it's cool to kind of, like, see it go full circle, and... I'm still, like, I still feel like I'm behind the scenes. I like to be behind the scenes. But in this day and age of social media, that's not healthy for anyone's brand. So now I'm stepping forward. And my, ironically, my followers have been going up. I never wanted to be in front of it. I just, you know, used to post about my family and blah, blah, mm-hmm. But now that I've switched it to being about my philosophy and my sense of style, it became, it's becoming somewhat of a, uh, good revenue for my followers and gaining more attention for partnerships and things like that. So I think that's that's the age that we're in, right? Like the selfie, we're in the selfie age. This narcissism, but it's cool yeah. because if you use it right, <laughs> you can help people around you. You can help brands. You can help yourself, which is good. Have you ever had moments where like you just want to give it all up and just just like done yeah. with it? <laughs> Every other day, it feels like. I I did, um, and I do from time to time when I feel like things are not moving in the right direction, but then I keep remembering that if I wasn't supposed to be doing certain things, it would not be happening. You know, like I wouldn't have the store. I wouldn't be invited to certain places. I wouldn't be interacting with the people that I do. I wouldn't, you know, if I wasn't supposed to do it, then it would not manifest itself. So that's what keeps me kind of on track, right? Even though sometimes I don't have enough money to do things. Sometimes I have to figure out how I'm going to make the money for it. But the underlying um, kind of remedy and the mantra is, but this is what you were born to do. There's no mistakes. So, you know, whether, you know, I'm going to stay doing this, what I'm doing now, or transition to something else because there's so much more to me than just, clothing, right? So, um, I don't know. I think everyone has those moments. I definitely do, probably twice a month. Um, <laughs> but I just keep it keep it moving because why stop? With the start of the 730, uh, I'm sorry, the 531 brand, I, I remember Fashion Week and going to uh, your presentations and all of that, and then you stopped doing it. And you... Uh, you dropped the 531 brand. What was the decision behind that to stop it? Being very wasteful. It wasn't like I was just going out. I wasn't partying. I wasn't doing anything crazy like that. But manufacturing goods the way I want to create them in New York City, it's very costly without any funding, without any loans out, without any investors. All that was self-funded. So then I took a step back and said, well, wait, I'm doing all this cool shit. And at that time, I felt like I wasn't being uh, recognized for it because I was just being knocked off. Like, the first slippers, like, I got knocked off so many times by different designers. It was crazy. Like, the, you know, the concept of wearing kimonos as, you know, like, all these things were Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. definition of how I see myself in the world. But, um, you know, because we're in the age of the selfie, the selfie gets taken. And I said, you know what? Let's see what happens, like, um, I think of Jay-Z's song, Encore, like, let's see what happens that no longer exists kind of thing. Let's see how everyone moves forward with culture without me intertwining in it, because I've done it enough. 
You know, like I shifted, and I know I did. Mm-hmm. I shifted everyone from thinking about Celine and minimalism to maximalism and glamour and 70s and boldness and loud and beauty and whimsical. You know, like that was my, that's my DNA. So when I presented the first season, no, like some people got it, some people didn't. And I remember saying, this is going to shift everything. Amazing tailored suits and like cocktail dresses. No, I was talking about an elevated version of streetwear. And that was my, my theory at that time. And now, I mean, my final season was paying homage to my friend who passed away who drowned in the ocean. But it was also speaking about the future when I casted multiracial ethnicities and guys who were um, both trans and, you know, just like this kind of futuristic family portrait is what that was. And I think that was a good way for me to kind of exit from uh, my role in part in, in uh, New York Fashion Week at this time. I'm not saying that it's over, over, but I just don't think it's worth me showing during New York Fashion Week because Fashion Week is not the same. It's more not. editors and bloggers. Um, yeah. And not necessarily for market and things like that. So Yeah, it's become more of a spectacle. I mean, I, I remember my first time actually attending a full Fashion Week and people were there working. Like, it was a full-on, like, job being there all day. Now I think people go Mm -hmm. just for the photo ops and hanging out and seeing who they can get photographed by. It's no longer about going to see, you know, the newest designers. A new aesthetic, a designer. Yeah, it's just, it's a fashion show within itself. And I'd rather not be a part of it. And then that's why, like, that's, there's no point of showing clothing to people who, or just there for the photo op and just for bragging rights and to do, you know, a Snapchat and things like that, which is nothing wrong yeah. with me, but I choose to do it in a different format. And, and I'm, in the, I'm in the kitchen, I'm in the lab developing something different. Talk to me about dressing, dressing Beyonce and Miss Tina because I remember mm-hmm. being, I think it was a Saturday that the image dropped and I was on my way mm-hmm. out. And I remember just scrolling through social media and seeing Beyonce and your coat, and immediately as soon as I saw it, I knew it was your coat, and I remember hitting yeah. you up, like, oh, my God, Beyonce is in your coat. Yeah. What was that like? Um, that's so funny. It's crazy. Um, what was nice about that situation was, okay, so I was going on, I had a buyer meeting to different amazing places, Barney's, Sacks, we had Bergdorf, we had a few other spots that was hitting me up. It was my second season, and we actually went to meet with, wow, this is crazy. I went to meet, that summer we went to meet with, wow, Milkmaid. And I remember it because it was a rainy day and I had the samples. We went downtown, Milk Studios. And we were really trying to get in there for that second season, for the third season. And they said, you know, you don't have any, you have any celebrities that's one of your stuff? And I was like, no, but I would like to have Beyonce. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You, but you know, <laughs> and it's so crazy because I left that meeting because I didn't make it, right? I left that meeting kind of defeated, and I said, why am I even doing this? If the only one to see is about who was wearing what, and, and well, don't they see the quality of these pieces? Look at this coat. It's mm-hmm. like fucking virgin wool with big Swarovski crystals lined with freaking silk, you know, silk charmeuse. So it's like a, you know, it's luxury, but, you know, and they couldn't comprehend it. So I said, you know what, 
I'm just going to send this out. I'm just going to, you know, I hit a, a few months later. It was, no, no, actually a few days later, 7-Eleven came out with the sweatshirts and Beyonce's. Throw it in the air, to, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yep. That was uh-huh. the anniversary for her first Beyonce album, which changed the industry. And I just said to her, why? I said to Zarina, who was Beyonce's stylist, was like, yo, how come you're not wearing one of my more sweatshirts? Because I made... I was known for my sweatshirts that said more in iridescence, when nobody was using iridescence. And, you know, more talks to maximalism and abundance and things like that. So, you know, yeah, so I was, like, going to send her that, but she said in response, like, we don't need another sweatshirt. What we need are pieces. And I said, okay, um, I'll just drop off some pieces because no one wanted them. No one was going to buy them for that season. So I said, fuck it, let her just, let's see what happens. So she, she wears it. Awesome. It's not. That's fine. A few days later, she wore it for the anniversary, and it changed everything. Because my first, um, you know, my first press ever was with Beyonce wearing it on the anniversary of her album, which is crazy. Huge. And then she wore Huge. it again in the same day. Like, so you don't usually wear the same thing twice in one day. B wore it. She loved it so much. She wore it twice in one day. So she wore it to the brunch at Billboard, and then she wore it to Killer Swift's birthday in the same day. And it was so crazy because I was like, what? Why is everyone hitting me up still? And then, because you know, it was the morning. I was like, okay, she's wore it. That's great. Awesome. I'm in, I'm happy. She, there was more hits and it was like her wearing it with like a leather pant and a t-shirt. So that was like a big deal because then all the buyers and editors was like, oh my gosh, it's the same people that I was dealing with. And all of a sudden they wanted to see me and I just kind of retracted and was like, nah, I'm just going to go direct to the consumer because now I know I have power, and um, thank God for Beyonce for empowering me so much because she's also wanted, you know, I made a custom, the first lemonade dress is what I call it, <laughs> the golden <laughs> yellow dress. Um, I made that. It was so charming. She looked perfect in it. We made a few other cool pieces for her. She's worn on her birthday, recent her 35th birthday, she wore you know, the tropical shirt and bag and jacket. And then the next day she wore um, a whole 70s costume I did. So it was a back-to-back moment. And so I'm officially in it. I'm, not, I'm like, so grateful for it, you know. And But the cool part is that Miss Tina is now, so, you know, she's been supportive as well. So now I have mom and daughter who's, you know, supporting. And although I don't design anymore, they're still supportive. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I want to design again. Who knows? But, you know, it's very cool to kind of have them on my on my team. Miss Tina mm-hmm. wore the costume that I made for B to wear during the tour, but it was a drop. They didn't make it. So out of all those um, thing, designers who made it and didn't make it, mine was sitting in the closet with them, and Miss Tina chose mine. She just randomly saw it for an event she had to do, which was the wearable arts um, benefit she does. And she fell in love, and she asked to meet me, and I went to the concert. And what's so nice about it is that I got a chance to interact with her and engage with her one-on-one in my store. She came up to the Bronx, got to, like, see what I was about, and she just loved it. So I feel very blessed. That's a huge moment because, one, it's not only about manifesting, but when we look back at the early conversation, if you didn't stay true to who you were, you may exactly. not have had those opportunities. So it's both about staying true to yourself and then exactly. also manifesting your vision and following through with it. I remember a few a few years back, you used to call yourself 
the style monk. I'm, it was the style monk, yeah. yes. And um, I always felt that had a huge spiritual background yeah. because of the name monk. And I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about spirituality because it's something that I believe in and I feel like mm-hmm. we're all connected spiritually in one mm-hmm. way or another. How did yeah. you build your spiritual connection? Wow, I've always had it. I, my grandmother was very gifted in the sense that she would have dreams, which is why I used the term dreams, because I have dreams as well, very vivid dreams. I've always had it, and everyone's known of, my mom always called me the golden child. I didn't, you know, from the movie. And my whole family always called me that, because I was very different. I'm not sure if they thought I was different because of my sexuality, or because of certain things that occurred as a kid, or how I carried myself. They always said I was like a, uh, an old man, not an old soul. Because I've known things, you know, like I understood <laughs> things about spirituality since before, which I believe in reincarnation. As I grew up, my family just allowed me to be who I wanted to be. So I studied Buddhism. I studied Christianity. I studied um, everything. And kind of it allowed me to kind of define my own understanding on, like, what is the system? What is life? Which led to this name that someone gave me when I was traveling before, and they called me this. They said, you're like a stylish monk. Like, I'm going to call you a style monk. <laughs> and it's so cool because I was like, oh, wow, that's cool because I am. I was so spiritual that it was crazy. Like, you know, I just was, that's just who I am as a person. And the fact that people got a chance to see it, it just kind of is another form of blessings. Um, and so I'd use that term as a consultant and just to kind of speak about the the system and I call it the system because I believe in God and I believe in this force that makes everything flow. And it's a force that's like, you know, it makes the flowers bloom at a certain time. It makes cherry blossoms bloom as well. It's, you know, mm-hmm. this is the time that, you know, when things drop from the sky, you know, like with snow and rain, there's a system that's been here. The reason why animals know how to migrate or, you know, it's amazing. They learn to walk without someone helping them or fly. It's the system. And so I believe in that. And I call that, that's God. Um, through all of this, I just you know, I said, you know what, why not be very bold about it and speak about my philosophies and my ideas and, um, you know, the way I see things. I did just that. And that was what I used as a consultant and, you know, just kind of, like, so, it's, I'm so like, it's crazy because, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I did a lot of things. That's why I'm kind of like, I, just, I lost for words, but it's so weird because that was another chapter in my life that um, was kind of rewarding and awesome all at the same time. And that same concept of spirituality was transitioned into the 531 brand. Mm-hmm, <laughs> because, mm-hmm. because in every piece that I make or made at the time, um, the label said 531 Jerome, and under it was gratitude is glamorous. So the term gratitude came from my gratefulness and, and gratitude towards the system. And, you know, it created this glamorous perspective that people have of me and the shop and the way I design and the way I see the world. You know, it's like really a blessing. I keep saying this word blessing. It's kind of surreal if I keep saying that. But it's so cool because it's it's my term that I made up that describes my own philosophy. So all the abundance that I do in every potent, um, textured piece I do, it's almost like a, a mantra or or meditation when I'm hand sewing them. 
So it's cool. I'm praying when I do some of them, which makes it really spiritual. It's important, I think, to show the gratitude because not everyone has that gift. And I think you doing what you do and using your hands and all of that and actually putting your work out there, I feel like is a form of gratitude and just giving thanks to the universe for having that gift. Because if you just sat on it, what would what use would it be? Exactly. So what's next for Jerome? We talked about early on uh, moving the store over to an e-commerce lifestyle platform, but what else is next mm-hmm. for you? So the thing is basically um, I like to call myself a cultivator of culture. I feel culture is being lost because we have so much transitioning and gentrification and, um, you know, the big brands are coming in and out of all these boroughs. What's going to happen to culture? Are we all going to be robots? Are we all going to be vanilla, boring, basic people? What happened to individuality? So that's where this whole concept of dreamer, for J, comes in. So that is basically a platform that I'm working towards that's going to empower creatives from around the world to connect and network and basically work together in a way to create something new, something that empowers the creatives to, to stay creative and, and, and highlight each talent that is brought to the table. So like Solana said, it's a seat at the table for everybody. So that's the vision it's, it's, of Dreamer. So that's why I stopped showing during Fashion Week because I said, okay, been here, done that. What, what else do I, mm-hmm. do I have to show every season? Because I don't think I do. I think I did what I need to do improving about finance, um, about financing and, and all that that is possible. And then I have a store now, and that's proving another form of that. And, and it's doing well, and it's growing, and it's changing. And, you know, I'm finding designers from around the world, and I'm discovering that they need this platform. So I'm basically transitioning from one concept to the next. All under the same umbrella, but it's just basically me empowering others the same way I was empowered in the beginning. For people that don't know how to find you, where can they find you at? Give the your social media, yeah. give the address to your so, store, give all of that information. Absolutely. So social media, it's Jerome Lamar, L-A-M-A-A-R, um, 9JBX, which is 9J and then letters B-X. Um, 9J store is 9JStudio.com, and I have JeromeLamar.com. Um, and the store address is 41 Bruckner Boulevard, Bronx, New York, 10454. One stop into the Bronx. And I've been there, and for me, it was like walking into <laughs> an art gallery slash antique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slash... I call it a galatique. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a different experience, and I, I went with my partner, and when we left there, we were like, this was definitely a different experience. We enjoyed nope. it, and we loved it. And and before I let you go, there's something I like to do. I have four rapid-fire questions that I like to ask all my guests mm-hmm. that are on the podcast. Um, they're quick and easy. So the first one is, what does fashion mean to you? Wow. Fashion means empowerment to me. What do you believe the difference between fashion and style to be? Wow. Everyone could obtain fashion. Style cannot be acquired. You need to know what it works for you and what doesn't. How would you define spirituality? 
Spirituality is the way you see beauty. And lastly, we have to know, who is Jerome Lamar? Jerome Lamar is a dreamer. Period. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Jerome, thank you so much. It was great to finally connect and talk to you and hear a little bit about your story and what's next for the brand. So I thank you again for being a part of the podcast and supporting. Thank you for having me. For more information on Living in Style, head to samcperry.com.